before you this morning. We celebrate, celebrate what you did for us on the cross. May you fill this room with your presence. May we experience more of you this morning. I ask, Father God, that the words that are spoken, Lord, that they would be your words and not mine. Open our hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, last time I preached, after I was done, Mason asked me what I thought about uh, this new space and, and preaching here. I told him I said it was great. I love being lower. I love being closer to people. I love being, seeing everyone closer together. But I said the funny thing is, is I said, uh, once I get past the third row, I really can't see your faces. You become a shadow of yourself. And so if you are sitting in the fourth row and back, I won't know if you're falling asleep or not. But those of you that are sitting on the first three rows, I'm taking notes. So if you move back next time I preach, I know that it was because I lost you. If you're joining us this morning, we finished up a series uh, just last week. We went through the book of Nehemiah. And if you remember, we spent some time, four Sundays, talking about some things that we as believers and we as the church ought to be doing. The first thing that we talked about is that we're called to God's Word. We're called to pray. We're called to commitment. And we're called to rejoice. And so this Sunday, we're kind of in this transition time, getting into the Easter season, and so we want to take a look at the question, is why do we gather together as a church? I mean, people gather for all different types of reasons. Maybe you're involved with some sort of sport, and you get together with them and play that sport, or maybe you are a sports fan, and you love getting together with others uh, and watching games together. Maybe there's some social clubs that you're involved in. That there's some similar interest groups that you get plugged into. Online has opened up a plethora of online forums and social gatherings through Facebook and whatnot in which people gather together. Just last week, we gathered together to celebrate the union of Matt and Michaela. And uh, as Mason shared earlier, for those of you that weren't here, we got to celebrate Matt by taking him out to a little go-kart fun. I have a little story I want to add to the end of that. Since he's here with us today, Mason and I were talking, as you mentioned last week, you know, what would be something we could do? We got to talking. Matt doesn't like driving, so we said, we're going to take him to some high-speed go-karts. It would be wonderful. So, as Mason mentioned last week, I was the lead cart, and so they based your laps off of your cart. And I had made my final pass on Matt, but I didn't realize it was my final pass. And they shut down my go-kart to a crawl. And I had just passed. Now Matt, because he was a few laps down, had a few more laps left. And his cart was going full strength. Shut me down to a crawl, and he slammed right into the back of me. And he gave me quite the jolt. So Matt did get his revenge. This past Friday, I took a group of students. We went over to Interest Bank Arena. Winter Jam comes around once a year, and it's a 
It's 10 bands. They come in. You pay $10, and you listen to 10 Christian bands play Christian music. It's time of Christian music and worship and, and teaching from God's Word. So people gather. And so why is it that we gather as a church? So we'll be taking a look at Hebrews chapter 10. So if you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, we'll be taking a look at a passage of Scripture that really gives some details as to what we are to do and why, are, why we gather as a church. Now before we get into our main uh, passage in 19 through 25, we're going to take a step back into chapter 10, verse 8, and we're going to see what the author was talking about as he's leading up to our main passage this morning. So starting in chapter 10, verse 8, when he said above, that is Jesus, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins no more and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And so in this writing, the author is writing to the Hebrew people who were dealing with this old sacrificial system. But see, Jesus, he came in and he changed it all. So verses 12 and 14 really summarize some of the previous chapters that the author's been writing. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So Jesus came, and then we get a new covenant. There's a new covenant that was made when Jesus came. And taken directly from prophecy in IJ, or Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34, verses 16 and 17 say that this covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. You see, because we have all sinned, there's really only one hope. It's in the name of Jesus. And since we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, we deserve death. And you might say, well, that sounds kind of harsh. But if we take an honest look at ourselves and we compare that to the perfect and holy God, we know that we fall short. And because of our sin, we deserve death. But God, out of his love, and mercy graciously sent his son 
to die on the cross, to be the single perfect sacrifice that would cover all sins once and for all so that we can be made right with God. I can stop right there. That's why we gather. But there's more. It's important. If we ask this question, why do we gather? We've got to understand who God is, who we are, and the work that he did through Jesus, who is the foundation of the church. So now I'm going to jump into our main passage this morning. We're going to draw out four main principles that we're going to see in verses 19 through 25 that really help us see why we gather. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So therefore, the first thing that we see is that we enter into his presence. Because of what God did through his son, we can enter into his presence. Because Jesus' blood has covered our sins. I want you to notice something, though. The author says that we have confidence to enter into the presence of God. Let me tell you, this isn't confidence of anything that you have done or anything that we do. It's because of what Jesus has already done. And it's because of that we can enter into his presence. He paid the penalty for our sins. You see, under the old covenant, the high priest, he was the only one that could enter this place called the Holy of Holies. It was covered by a veil and it represented the, where God was at. Now, he could only enter it once a year. But see, when Jesus died on the cross, he paved the way for all. All people who believe in his sacrifice can confidently go before God knowing that they're forgiven and clean. Now, you notice in verse 20, it says that by a new and living way, he opened for us through his flesh. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn. We're given access to God. If we remember, though, we were all once sinners that deserved death, but through Jesus, he's given us life. He's made us new, a new spiritual life that is living. And just as Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, when you come to that faith in Jesus Christ, you die to your old self, and then you raise to a new life in him. He gave us the ability to enter into the presence. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. He intercedes on our behalf. He's the high priest over the house of God, and you and I have an open invitation to enter into his presence. I can't restate that enough. Under the old system, only the high priest could go enter into the presence of God once a year. But see, you and I, 
We're invited to dwell in the presence of God every moment of every day. Do we sometimes take that for granted? Do we sometimes not realize that we have access to the living God and what a privilege it is for us to be able to go and enter into his presence because of what Jesus did on the cross? Let's not forget that. The second thing that we see is in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean and an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, because we've been made right with God through the blood of Jesus, we can draw near to God with a true heart. So without Jesus, our hearts are not right. But see, Jesus comes in and he makes our hearts right. He makes our hearts pure. And we must seek to draw near to God, which comes from trusting in the work that he did on the cross. We're not to dwell on the sin that's been in our life, but we're to dwell on the grace that was poured out through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, being a Christian is not just a matter of outwardly conforming to some Christian standard, but it's a matter of loving God from a heart that's been transformed by his grace. Our faith is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and it changes us. Jesus' death makes a sinner pure before God. So regardless of what you've done in your life, regardless of the sin that you've committed, Jesus covers all those sins. And we stand pure before him. And by confessing and acknowledging that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we've been made spiritually new. Salvation comes from acknowledging the sin that exists within our life. Believing in the sacrifice that he made on the cross, then sharing our faith with others. We've been made spiritually new before God. So what does it mean to draw near to God? We spent four weeks talking about some things, time in God's word. Do you frequently spend time in God's word? Time in prayer. Do you spend time communicating with God on a regular basis? Commitment. Are you willing to make a commitment to the things that God asks of you? Rejoice. Do you frequently rejoice in who God is and all that he's done? That's drawing near to God. We're called to draw near to him on a regular basis And if you aren't, you're missing out on the wonderful privilege that we have in entering into his presence and drawing near to him, allowing him to speak into our hearts. We have access to the living God that created all things, who is the ultimate authority. The next thing we see is in verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. As we draw near to God, believing in what he did through Jesus Christ, we must hold tightly to that hope that we find in Jesus. Now our hope in Jesus is really on several levels. The first one is, is that our sins are washed away. Our sins are taken care of. Jesus has also promised that he is going to return. He's going to come again. And the third thing is, is he's told us that all who believe in me are going to come and spend eternity 
my Father in heaven. We hold on to that hope. That is our hope. It's why we gather. And we come together. We confess that hope through praise, through prayers and teaching. But you notice he says, do not waver. Hold tight, hold fast. Do not waver. It's almost as if something can be taken away. Something can be lost. The people, the Hebrew Christians, they were facing persecution. They were being challenged for their hope that they had in Jesus Christ. And so the author is encouraging them to hold fast and do not waver for that hope that you know. Now, in America, we don't deal with that same type of persecution. But if you pay attention to the news all over this world, we see Christians who are facing persecution for what they believe in, for standing for Jesus Christ. We need to be ready for that. All believers should be ready at any time to face persecution. I believe that we face a different type of pressure that challenges our hope in Jesus. We call it conformity. It's easier to conform to society, to blend in at work, to blend in at school, to blend in in activities outside of church than it is to stand for Christ. Sometimes it's easier to not share the hope that you have in Jesus Christ with someone who doesn't know Jesus for the fear that it might make things uncomfortable. Well, more than likely, it's making it uncomfortable for us rather than that person. We need to hold fast without wavering, stand firm in who we believe in Jesus to be. As we draw near to God, as we see him be faithful and uphold his promises, we become more and more confident to stand for Christ in all circumstances, in all situations, holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The last thing we see is in verses 24 and 25. <clears throat> and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. First and foremost, we gather because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We celebrate his life, his death, and his resurrection. But in this passage, it tells us that we are also to stir up one another to love and good works. We ought to be encouraging one another, challenging one another to love others because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. But notice not only the emphasis on gathering, but we are to consider how to stir one another up. I have a video of a guy arriving at church. Jesus, I am late for church. I'm just going to speak this parking spot into existence right now. Just name it and claim it, Jesus. Oh, for heaven's sakes, use the crosswalk. I, okay, I have the fruit of the Spirit, but y'all need to move. Ooh, she is going to wear that into your... Bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes. Jesus, give me a miracle. I need a ram in the thicket. I love this church. It's just like, come as you are. You know what I'm saying? How do I look, though? Does the jacket go with the shirt? Oh, good Lord. Guests, single parents expected mother who doesn't have a parking spot these days i have been here 27 years i deserve respect 
Oh, yeah, go ahead, take my parking spot. She, listen, she probably needs Jesus more than me, honestly. Use your mirror. How long does it take to back out of a... Jesus, give me strength. This is so str... Honestly, there better be coffee. There better be coffee. Y'all are gonna make me park in a handicap spot. Oh, look, there go the homeschoolers. I swear if somebody took the last jelly donut, I will. Don't make me get out of the... Oh, hey, move that... Are you on the ministry team? Not today, okay? Oh, you're gonna drive a Lexus? Okay, I know where your treasure's at. Not in heaven. The sermon series is what? Putting others in front of yourself. Oh, this doesn't apply to me. I mean, for heaven's sakes, move out of the road. Look at this truck. Where are you going? A church or a Trump rally? Finally found a parking spot 15 minutes late. Oh, it is way too cold out here, but you better bring a shuttle or I will watch this service online. I know that's a, a funny look at a guy arriving at church, but who is he concerned about? It's all about himself. Wasn't concerned about the sermon series, putting others before yourself. He didn't need that. I'm working the church ministry. Not today. That is the opposite of how we ought to be coming to church. Because we are to come together. And we ought to be seeing not what we can get as a believer, but what we can contribute. What can we do to contribute, to stir up one another to love and good works? That is how we ought to be approaching church. It means that we are being intentional. Intentional about thinking of others above ourselves. Maybe you see someone or you know of someone that's, that's going through a difficult time. Maybe they're going through some sort of a struggle. Maybe, maybe they seem to be lonely. Maybe a little down. You need to take the time. Go talk to them. See if there's anything you can pray for them about. Take an interest in them. Maybe you don't even know the person, but you're aware of them. Go introduce yourself. We're all here together because of the same reason, and his name is Jesus. And we ought to be coming together regularly, being intentional about reaching out for others and really caring for others. I tell you, sometimes we'll be amazed at what God will do through a relationship. You might reach out to someone that you thought you were going to make an impact on, and you see months down the road that they've made a greater impact on your life. But it was because you were intentional to come and you were to contribute something to this body of believers to stir up one another to love and good works. But let me tell you, it doesn't come from anything that you can do. It's out of your overflow of the love that Jesus has demonstrated in your life that you want to make an impact in someone else's. Notice in verse 25, we're not to neglect the time of meeting together. Let me tell you, there's something, something happens when believers gather together. It's hard to explain. I see it happen here on Sunday mornings. I see it happen on Wednesday nights. I saw it when we went to Interest Bankery. There were thousands of believers, and there were non-believers there. But there was something happening there. It was God. There is something that is just, it is undescribable. And so we're not to neglect that time of coming together. 
But sometimes we can come up with all kinds of excuses as to why we won't regularly get together with other believers. Sometimes we allow work to get in the way. Sometimes it's activities. We're seeing in our society that there is a top priority in kids' sports, that it becomes more important if they go to that versus coming to church. Sometimes we can just let general busyness prevent us from gathering with other believers. It's because gathering with other believers is not a top priority. But we need to make sure that we're gathering, we're setting it as a top priority because we're encouraged, we get support, we challenge one another in our walk with Christ. And when you neglect that time, you can begin wandering and drifting down a road that can become challenging and difficult because you are stepping outside of the will of God. See, when we come back, it reminds us of why we gather together to celebrate and glorify God. It reminds us of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And that we exist for His glory and His glory alone. But now in order to stir one another up, this passage implies that we know each other on a deeper level. But sometimes we are guilty of knowing each other on a superficial level. Now, I don't think it's possible for us to know everyone in the church on a deeper level, but each one of us ought to know some other people, other believers on a deeper level in which we are challenging one another. But oftentimes, you'll see these deeper relationships take place because of what's happening outside of Sunday morning, what's happening outside the walls of this church. But there's something that takes place when believers get together outside the church and they get together, they start being a little more real with one another. We start knowing each other's struggles, each other's challenges. We begin to know each other on a deeper level, which is the way it should be. And I would venture to say that we have a better chance of stirring up one another to love and good works better outside the walls of this church than we do inside. So we ought to be frequently gathering together with other believers to stir up one another to love and good works I think Sunday mornings are extremely vital to what we do because we gather each Sunday in a large group. We worship and celebrate all that Jesus has done. We hear teaching from God's word. So it really goes hand in hand, both. And Mason has mentioned Love Delaney we have coming up next Saturday. Let me tell you, this is a great opportunity for us to come. Yes, we're going to start at the church, but then we're going to go outside the walls of this church. And there's something that happens when believers come together to carry out the mission of God. And we'll see unity. We'll see people laughing and enjoying getting out there and serving God. We're praying. I want you to be praying also that God will place someone in our path. Maybe someone plays in your path. Did you have an opportunity to begin to talk to them about Jesus, about why we're out there doing what we're doing? 
I can promise you this. If you come next Saturday, we are going to be putting this into practice. I can promise that we're going to be stirring up one another to love and good works. So I want to challenge you to come be a part of that. Be a part of what God is doing in this church. So why do we gather? We gather be first and foremost because of Jesus Christ. We gather to enter into his presence. We gather to draw near to him. To hold fast to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But we also gather to stir up one another to love and good works. Let's pray. Guys, I want to thank you for the time that you've given us this morning to, to get into your word, to really study your word. And I pray, Father, that we would uh, take these truths that we see in your scripture, that we would begin to apply them to our lives, that we would see ways in which we gather together to we enter into your presence, Father, that we all are to draw near to you corporately and individually. I pray, Father, that we would hold, hold to the hope that you've given us. And we do it all for your glory. Everything that we do is for your glory and your name alone. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to work and move amongst this congregation, that our hearts would be drawn to you, that we would seek to live and honor you with everything that we have and all that we are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.